kids that have t talked to me about being baptized uh, for our baptismal service, which is sort of exciting. Before we really even start announcing it, um, people have said, hey, can I be baptized? So that's sort of exciting. Um, every morning, every Sunday morning at 9 o'clock, there's a group of us that gets here to pray. Uh, pray for the church, pray for direction, pray for the service, pray for people, pray for the city, pray for whatever may be on our hearts. Um, that is not a closed group. Uh, anybody who would like to come and pray with us at 9 o'clock, we'd love to have you. And the other thing is, I've suggested or offered that if you just send me a picture of yourself, um, that's on the blotter on my desk. And when I come in the office on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, um, I, that's right there in front of me. So I'm just reminded to be praying for people here in the church. Um, if you don't want me to pray for you, don't send a picture. Um, but if you do want me to pray, I would love to do that. So just send a picture. Uh, it looks like I've even had a couple of pictures from somebody who took a picture of somebody when they weren't looking. So I'm, I might be praying for you and you don't even know it. Um, so, um, anyway, it's just something that I just believe that if we're going to be a, truly have a revival, it's because of prayer, not because of program. And it's prayer that's going to make the difference. Scripture this morning is found in Matthew chapter 10, 24 through 42. And again, these are one of those verses that I wish Bob was preaching or Vince was preaching. Uh, because I just like preaching happy messages. Uh, you know, not the challenging ones. Um, but a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house of Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear, what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my, for my sake will find it. Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. 
And the one who receives a righteous person, because he is a righteous person, will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water, because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will be by no means lose his reward. I was thinking about skipping verses 24 through 39 and just preaching on verses 40 and 42 um, and just giving a cup of cold water, which is a lot more encouraging than some of the other verses. Um, but as we've been examining the book of Matthew, we have been seeing over and over again this call from Jesus to choose between two paths of life. One path leads to eternal life. The other one leads to death. One is, one is for those who have been made righteous in their relationship with Christ. The other one is those who walk by sight, living by their own desires, living by their own feelings, the desires of the flesh. So one is for Christ, one is not. And this morning we're going to look at a section of this passage where Jesus tells us what it means to be his disciple. That if you're really going to be a disciple of Christ, there's going to be some criteria. And now there's going to be some criteria, there's going to be some consequences. If you're truly going to be a disciple, there's going to be some consequences. And though we may not have experienced those consequences as much in the United States, throughout the world, those consequences are being felt. They've said that there's been more martyrs in the last hundred years, Christian martyrs in the last hundred years, than there's been in all of history before then. The people are dying for their faith. Um, so while the truth in this section would apply to God's servants, uh, then, uh, during any period, I think they're especially significant for us today for maybe a little bit different reason. Um, why I think it's really important for the church today is because subjectivism and relativism have overtaken the United States. That's what America is about. Um, by relativism, I mean the assumption that there's no such thing as absolutes. What is true or right or good or beautiful for you may not be for me. It's all relative. And so even when we try to proclaim truth, um, if, it's, if we proclaim truth and hold to that truth, we may be considered hateful, bigots, closed-minded, all kinds of things. And then subjectivism, I mean the assumption that in this relativistic world, I, the subject, have the right to determine what is good and bad, right and wrong, true and false, beautiful and ugly, for me, without submitting my judgment to any objective reality. So if I just feel like it's okay, then it's okay. And because everything is relative. And so when a person tries to proclaim truth, they can be considered hateful. And because in a society that people want to be loved and accepted, instead of proclaiming truth, we sort of lessen our witness by just trying to be accepting and acceptable by everyone else. And there's a difference between just being offensive and just holding on the truth that says, no, this, this is for me. Um, I, whenever we go out for dinner and people are drinking, which I have no problem with, 
I have a problem myself drinking, but I don't have a problem with other people drinking. Some people come up and say, would you like a drink? And I go, no, thank you. And I go, are you sure you don't want something? I go, no, I can't. Well, how come you don't want one? I go, because, you know, one's not enough, you know, or, you know, or what is it? One's, one's too many and a hundred's not enough. Um, and so I just say, you know, I just, I just can't. And I find it amazing, even when I make that kind of a statement, how bartenders, waiters, waitresses, other people will say, oh, sure, you can have one. And I go, mm, well, I don't think so. And then I say, and if I do have one, my wife will divorce me. They go, okay, now I understand. <laughs> you know, not that I'm an alcoholic, but you know, there's a, 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 another consequence. Um, but it's almost like they don't get it. Um, but that's the air we breathe in America. The sense of relativism and subjectivism. Um, and there's a sense where the church has just bought into it. Because we want to be accepting and not be considered intolerant or hateful. So we just accept almost anything Instead of saying, no, wait, you know, there are certain things that God said that are just true. And that we really can't compromise those things. So that was true in the time of Christ, and it's true today. So in Matthew chapter 10, verses 24 through 42, not only does Jesus encourage his disciples, but it's really an encouragement for us also. And it reveals what are some of the consequences as well as what are the character of being a disciple. And a disciple is simply a student, a learner. It's that they're attaching themselves to a master and saying, I want to learn from them and I want to be like them. So the disciples are saying we want to, we're attaching ourselves to Jesus and we want to be like Jesus. And in Matthew 10, 24, we see the first aspect of that and that's the humility um, we will not be above our master, but we will simply strive to be like our master. That's, that seems so simple. But in our society today, we don't live that way. We don't say we want to be like the master. We say we want the master to do whatever we want our master to do for us. We really put ourselves above the master saying Jesus is here to serve us instead of us serving Jesus. But that first aspect is that humility, that humility that says, no, not my will, but God's will be done, that God's in charge. So that first characteristic of a disciple is that humility. A second characteristic is a proper fear of the Lord. Not a fear of society, not a fear of what people can do, but a proper fear and understanding of who God is. Verses 25 through 28. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house, Beelzebul, if they've called Jesus Satan, how much more will they malign those of his household? So if you are a member of Christ's body, you are part of the body of Christ, and they call Jesus Satan, do you think that they're not going to call you the same? You know, and so, but so then he goes, so have no fear of them. Wait a second. They're going to call me Satan, and now you tell me, so have no fear of them. You know, 
thanks, but no thanks. I'm not sort of excited about being called Satan by the world. Um, but then notice in verse 26, for, the word for, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. We can try to cover things or hide things, but they will be discovered. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. So what Jesus is telling us, proclaim it. Proclaim it from the rooftops. Don't be afraid to let people know who you are and who you serve. So even though they're going to call you Satan, even though they're going to malign you, even though they're going to hate you because they hate Jesus, and anybody who loves Jesus is going to be hated for the, by the same people that hate Jesus, he said, so don't worry about it. It's just going to happen. So go ahead and proclaim it. Um, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. I've mentioned before that there is a big difference between being a fan of Christ and being a follower or a disciple of Christ. Because Christ has a lot of fans. A lot of people say, well, I like his teachings. I like this. I love this aspect of love. I like the forgiveness. I like all that. But they, so they're a fan. They're a fan of Christ. But when it comes to being a disciple, and it's a little bit different level of commitment and um, discipleship, uh, they sometimes resist that. And then he goes on to say, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. They can't touch our souls, folks, because our souls belong to God. And so there may be a lot of things that we may go through and there may be a lot of persecution. There may be a lot of, you know, abuse from society as a whole. But they can't touch the soul. And that's what lasts for eternity. Then he goes on. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Basically what he's saying is there's really not anything that is probably less value than a sparrow. But even a sparrow falling to the ground, God knows about. God knows about. And even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Now, for those of you who are losing hair, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> you know. But when you had it, God knew each number of each hair. Um, when you think about that, I mean, all that is basically saying... Do you really think that anything that's going on in your life, God doesn't care about? Do you really think that there's anything that goes on in your life that God doesn't care about? See, that is a direct contrast to the sort of deistic view of which holds that God created it all and then just let it go. He's saying no. He created it. And he still cares today about every single thing that goes on in each one of our lives. Can you really rest in that? Can you take time this week and just meditate on the fact that no matter what you're going through, that God 
cares about every single thing. You know, because if he can care about two sparrows falling from the sky, and he knows each the number of our hairs, not that just that we have a head full of them, but each numbered them, that shows the importance of who we are in his sight. So God is concerned about all the details of our lives and that he protects his own. He protects them to every aspect of our life. So there's really no need to fear when God is exercising care for us. The third characteristic of a disciple is that they confess publicly the Lord Jesus. Again, look at verse 32. Everyone, therefore, who acknowledges me or confesses me before men, I will also confess them before my Father who is in heaven. Confession of Jesus means to agree with him and who he is. And it's more than just this intellectual assent. It's just more than an acknowledgement of the facts. Our behavior affirms that. It's a declaration of our true belief. Do I really believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died for our sins, who gave his life, and who I'm surrendering my life to make him as the Lord of my life? Do I really believe it? And then do I act that? Is Jesus first? Or is everything else that's going on in my life have a higher priority than Christ? And then I just sort of bring Jesus in when I need him. And I know when we looked at the Robert Morris video on First Fruits, he said, Jesus will never settle for second place in a person's life. And when we make him second, we are shortchanging Jesus. We are shortchanging ourselves. And again, we're not putting that humility as the first characteristic of a disciple because we're saying, I'm first Jesus, you're second. You take care of my needs and then maybe I will serve you then maybe I will do what you want me to do. Then maybe I will, you know, volunteer. Then maybe I will tithe. But not until you first do these things for me. And that's pretty much the spirit of America. It's just part of our culture. So is there this willingness to confess that Jesus is our Lord? And even to do so when it costs even to do so when all of a sudden society says, well, you, you're so close-minded, you're such a bigot, you're, you're hateful because you say these things, instead of just saying no. We're not saying it because we're hateful, we're saying it because we love. How else could I not say the things that I need to say if I didn't love? Then Matthew 10.33 brings out the flip side. Um, oh my gosh. Uh, we're not going to get very far today, folks. Um, when he says, but whoever shall deny me before men, I will deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Again, the shall deny demonstrates not someone who failed once. Because probably most of us have failed at one time or another in denying Christ or doing something that we knew we shouldn't do. So this isn't like, okay, I denied Christ once and now I've committed the unpardonable sin, unforgivable sin, and I'm doomed to go to hell. No, this is like Peter. Okay, he denied, but immediately he repented, got back on, you know, the horse, so to speak, 
and served him. And I love the story of Peter. Because Peter denies Christ. And then he goes, he's on the beach, and Jesus just looks at him and says, do you love me? And he goes, well, yes. Do, no, do you love me? Well, you know I love you. Well, do you love me? Well, yes, I love you. Then what are you doing here? If you love me, get back to doing what I told you to do in the first place. You know, go feed my sheep. Go, go fish for men, not fish for fish. And I think sometimes we feel like we've been, we've done something that now we're disqualified. And Jesus never disqualifies us. Humans may disqualify us, but Jesus never disqualifies us. He loves us. He gifted us. He told us, gave us a mission. And regardless of what we've done, regardless of where we've been, Jesus says, get back to it. Get back to it. Um, so Jesus is making a distinction here between those who fear God and those who fear men. Those who deny Jesus or fail to profess Jesus before men in order to gain their favor or avoid their disfavor, demonstrate that they are more concerned about the opinions of mankind than they are of Jesus. And that such a person just doesn't understand who Jesus is. Um, a fourth characteristic of a disciple is that they value Jesus Christ more than anything else. And this, is, this becomes the hard Hard, hard verses, so I'm not even going to go into them today. I'm going to continue on next week. Because I think we really need to understand what that means. But let me just share a different perspective on this, where it says, if you love anybody more than me, if you love anybody more than me, you're not worthy of me. Think about it from another perspective. If you love anybody more than Jesus, you're not loving them effectively. Okay? If you love anybody more than Jesus, you're not loving them effectively. Because it's not only them, it's also ourselves. If we love ourselves more than Jesus, we're not effectively loving God, we're not effectively loving others. So when I put myself above Jesus... That's what every relational problem I've ever had. is because I've put my wants, my desires above Jesus. When I put Jesus first, and he says, love Gwen this way, love your children this way, love others this way, my obedience to Jesus makes me a better man, makes me a better husband, makes me a better father, makes me a better pastor, makes me a better friend, makes me a better anything. When I put myself first, everything as I could sell them, it says, it's all vanity. You keep on trying to find yourself, Andy. You keep on trying to do this. You keep on trying to discover this. You keep on trying to do that. And in the end, it'll all be vanity. But when you put me first, I'll teach you how to love others in a way that they need to be loved. And so, the practical sense of this verse is a key to living life with other people. For us. But try to imagine Victoria's story. Where a person comes to Christ, 
and and their family, they can be considered dead. I knew one person who was a girl who was came from a Jewish family, and when she came to Christ, she called her family, and they said, "We don't have a daughter like that named that anymore." She died to us. We don't understand that, but that goes on all over the world. When a person comes to Christ, they've lost everything. They've lost their career. They've lost their family. They've lost everything. That's what it means to love Christ more than anything. And that's the call that Jesus is telling his disciples. You know, if any person is not willing to do that, then they're not my disciple. That's a hard call. And sometimes we don't see the reward. We, do, we don't see where it makes sense. But if you live it out, if you play it out, it makes all the sense in the world. And it shows the greatest love that God has for us. Says because I know how to live life. I know how to orchestrate life. I know how to have every person have a better relationship. I know how to help you in order that you can live a fulfilled life. But until you put me first, that will never happen. And so we have people continuing to go through life struggling with the things that they struggle with. Struggling with relationships, struggling with marriages, struggling with, with addiction, struggling with sin, because we continue to put ourselves above Christ. We don't think we do, but when Christ says, well, stop that, we go, well, that's, that's okay. I'm going to continue doing that, but I'm going to follow you over here. I even think that sometimes we like to be in Bible studies because we hear this truth and we don't like this truth, so we want to learn a new truth so that we can like that truth. Because I can believe in this truth, so I can just sort of live that one, and I'll pretend that this one I never heard. Um, instead of saying, wait, this is what Jesus said, I just need to do it. Okay, I'm going to end here. The reason why is because the next verse is just as hard. And I'm going to clarify more what I said here. Because it said, I didn't come to bring peace, I came to bring a sword. There's no greater divisive person in the world than Jesus Christ. Okay? There is no greater person in the world than Jesus Christ. When you enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, it's not some kind of philosophical decision where, yeah, I can accept part of this and reject. When you enter into a relationship with Christ or when you know who Christ is, either you fully accept him or you fully reject him. And you see all through the scripture as well as society that you came and because of who he is, it brought division among people. Now, that's the bad news, but it's also the good news when we follow Christ. But I just, that's way too much to try to do today. And Victoria, I just want to thank you for being here and sharing your story. And I truly, um, I can't even comprehend what it was like for you to serve outside of the United States in a culture that is not 
Christian by nature. So you continue to be in our prayers. So, Father, I just praise you and thank you for this day. And Lord, I just thank you for your word that just challenges us to, to live different, to understand what it truly means to be a disciple. And Lord, on the one side, it looks so difficult, it looks so hard, it looks like it just setting us up for pain or, vict or for hurt. But when we play it out in reality, it is the greatest loving thing we can do. And so, Father, I just ask that you continue to minister to each of us. So next week, as we continue on with this, these same verses and going through them of what it really means to love you first and how by being believers that by just the fact that we're following you can be divisive. At the same time, you're with us in every aspect of the journey. So, Father, I lift up each person here, ask for your blessing upon them, that we can go forth to be a blessing to others. This is our prayer in Christ's name. And all God's people said, Amen.